What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Cheeky Midweeky, where we are making strength and conditioning not boring. And today's episode will not be boring at all, especially if you like nutrition, because you can't outwork a bad diet. The man right here, Pratik Patel, will talk about that. Um, you've been to Rose Bowls in the NFL. Like, I'm gonna let you do your intro. I'm gonna stop talking. Uh, Pratik, thank you for joining the show, man. I really appreciate it. No, thanks for having me. I guess the second time around. Before it was grilling mm-hmm. me. I was trying to make sense of his weird accent, but no, you know, I'm very fortunate to have the chance to work in team sport, a few different colleges, K-State, Michigan State, Oregon, and then most recent stop was with the New York Giants, I was working with Aaron Woman on his strength and conditioning staff, but also in charge of all the, you know, nutrition, supplementation, hydration, you know, some of the assessments we were doing on the players, took over the blood biomarker program, started doing a lot more sleep education, stress, HRV. Uh, really trying to just fill in the gaps that weren't necessarily provided. And I think it's funny, a lot of teams will just be like, oh, we have somebody for that. We have a sleep consultant. We have this. I'm like, the players don't know anything about it. How can you say you have this fucking box check when you really don't? And it annoyed the crap out of me because I'm, again, to my idiotic dismay, it's like, well, nobody else is going to do it. I'm going to do it. I made a career doing that. Mm. It's good and bad. It's good because it can actually, you can leverage it if people recognize what you're doing. It's bad if people don't uh, understand it or don't even care, and you're just doing all this extra work that may or may not be providing value to the athletes, which is the most important thing. And it's not putting any more money in your bank account, and you're just busting your ass, wasting your time. So I had a really great experience there. You know, we learned a lot. We did as much as we could, and mainly the goal was to have the team physically and mentally ready to play on Sundays. So whether that was reducing games lost to injury whether that was, again, complementing the way the coaches wanted to train in terms of practices run, just making sure that we weren't our own worst enemy. If there were things that we knew about players that we can prevent them or educate them on to help them get to that stage with being available, um, then that's what we wanted to do. And I think we were successful in you know, getting it. The big thing was reducing games lost to injury. And it's not reducing injuries because when you're talking about football, you can't stop injuring <laughs> football. And in the NFL, you have to disclose everything. It's not like college. So if a player has to go do dental work and they don't practice, like they're on the injury report. Mm. If a player wakes up, you know, yawns and stretches and gets into this, you know, massive extension and strains their sternocleidomastoid, which has happened, and obviously that you know they can't move their neck. So yeah, you're not going to put a player out there, and it's in a, it's acute. They're going to fix themselves in a couple of days. Um, you put them on the injury report, and that's where fans and other people sometimes go a little bit crazy about why do they have so many injuries? Why is the report like that? I'm like, you look at the report on Wednesday, Thursday, and then you look at uh, the report on Sunday and the inactives, and you tell me, does it make, does, is that the, you know, the end all be all? So no. So again, I, I really, really enjoyed working with Aaron. He challenged me to get outside of my comfort zone in terms of what I had experienced and how I approach and think of things. So it wasn't like he was a direct mentor or anything. Like, that's not his job. He, they, like Coach McAdoo, Aaron, Ronnie Barnes, they hired me to do something because I was the person they felt was going to take that role and fulfill it properly. And I had to do all the growth on my own. And fortunately, I had a chance to work with him, which was great. Um, unfortunately, we sucked. You know, we, this is the crazy thing. In 2016 was Coach McAdoo's first year. They went to the playoffs. Mm-hmm. So Jerry Reese, the GM, knew that the defense was lacking. They spent $100 million 
fixing the defense. You know, you get Snacks Harrison, uh, awesome run stuffer. You get Olivier Vernon from Miami, pass rushing outside linebacker slash D end. You signed, you know, Janoris Jenkins year before you had uh, DRC. So the defense was solid. Uh, the offense was struggling a little bit. You know, they, Eli played a hell of a game in their wild card game, but they lost pretty badly to, to the Packers. 2017 comes around. Okay, defense is still good. Uh, let's get some free agents in. Let's bolster the offense. You know, sign Evan, or draft Evan Ingram, first round, mm-hmm. flat tight end out of Ole Miss. Sign Brandon Marshall, another receiver. You know, we already have Odell. It's like, okay, yeah, like things are going to look up. It does not happen that way. Unfortunately, the media says, hey, this defense can get you to the Super Bowl. Giants make the playoffs. But we were 0-6 heading into Denver. And, the, and our first win that year was at Denver, which is really funny because I just saw a clip of Garrett Bowles, who was on that team, because uh, they just lost to Miami 70-0 to yesterday. Yeah which to me is unfathomable. Like you score 70 points in an NFL game. I think there were weeks like three or four years when I worked for the Giants in like four or five games combined, we didn't score 70 points total. You scored in one game and there's still eight minutes left in the fourth quarter. I'm like, oh my God, good for them. You know, I think these young coaches, which understand the game, but want to do it their way, who say, you know, fuck tradition, fuck what everybody else is doing because everybody else is losing. You know, they're losing their jobs. They're, they're not growing they're not you know achieving success with or without good rosters so my time in New York was great like I really enjoyed it but it gets to a point where I saw the writing on the wall where it's like no one's going to hire me as a head strength coach and that was you know something Aaron and I talked about he's like I'm not hiring you for that to be the potential I'm like that's not why I wanted to come here um, my growth in the organization is pretty much capped you know not like I wanted to be Aaron's boss or anything like that it's like you know as long as he's there I'm still riding this wave of feeling very comfortable with what we were doing. We had a lot of buy-in from the players. They'll tell you that. Um, it was very intentional. It was very smart. You know, it was obviously still a million things we could have done better. Uh, and that's any situation. But then 2020 comes around. I think we're all going to get fired. Uh, you know, Ronnie and the GM and all of us, they want to retain us. So Joe Judge retains us. I'm like, okay, well, how is this going to go? Because he's already dictating to Aaron, you know, what conditioning should look like, how preparation should be movements in the weight room and he's changing my job description um you know and then Aaron Aaron leaves for a very great role which I was very supportive of I'm like you gotta take care of your family man who knows what's going to happen in this league you know there's no loyalty in the NFL even though we're putting that foot forward from our end and then I I got transitioned to a different role I'm like this is awful like I have no control over my career my future my life I'm on under contract. I didn't sign my extension. I can't go to another team. You know, you can't back channel that stuff because I'm under contract. The only way I could get out is I had to leave. Like, and I ended up doing that. That's fucking impressive. Like <clears throat> to actually see the writing on the wall and to do it that way, because not a lot of people, a lot of people would just kind of piss and moan about it. No quick break from the show to remind you to hit that like and subscribe button. It helps us out and it helps you be notified when we have new content get released. So again, please hit that like and subscribe button if you enjoy this content. And with that, let's get back to the show. Oh yeah. I mean, you know how it is. Circles of coaches, they, it's always everybody else's fault. It's never their fault. You know, only if I had this opportunity or this chance, or if I work for this person or I've had this budget, if I had this weight room, if I had, you know, whatever. 
And it's not just, you know, being very self-aware about you and your situation. Like me, like I'm the reason I was in this position. Nobody forced me to take any of these jobs or work these hours. And now I'm like, is this what I want to do until I potentially get fired or, you know, I'm 50 alone, no family, um, living in a house in Jersey or wherever by myself. So I was like, I think there might be a way I can transition out just to test the waters to see what life is like out there. You know, I didn't really have a plan in place. So I will, I will tell people I'm better off for making that decision, but not having a plan in place and thinking that everything would fall in line for me immediately. Cause it kind of did during my career was very naive of me. Cause I'm like the hardest years of my entire life happened after I left the league, not those tough years working in the league or, you know, working insane hours in college. Like, Honestly, that shit's a breeze, but it has made me a better yeah. It has made me a better person and a better man. So, what is um, what is your piece of advice for anybody that is transitioning? Because you know, more and more people are kind of talking about that. Because you talked about it at first, like, hey, that I'll do it mentality is something that all strength coaches have embedded in their head. How can you keep that team player aspect, but still respect certain boundaries as your you know, even in team sport, but then transitioning to the private sector world or even in the tactical world, like that's a complete paradigm shift, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. It, it, it was a little bit of a, a shock to me at first because when you transition from this big machine that has a lot of things already in place, you know, you have budgets in place, you have access to doctors, you have, you know, medical staff with you. You have a facility, you have the athlete management systems and the software. Now you can't do as much as you would like to. So people that talk about the progressiveness of professional sport or this team or that team, teams aren't doing shit. I can do more than any team could ever do on my own easily. And I have, and I think that's one of the unique things about going from this very confined atmosphere where you're bound by NCAA regulations or CBAs to now you can do any and everything you want. You know, if you want to specify or take over a specific niche, you want to be the full health practitioner of whoever, you know, athletes or non-athletes, you can do that. So I didn't have systems in place. And my naivety with that was I would figure it out. I don't need to hire a coach. I don't need to ask people for help. And that's just me being stubborn, having had figured things out for a very long time myself, not knowing that when you're on your own, you need as much help as possible because the people that don't ask for help or try to figure it out using other people's, you know, recommendations, their guidelines, the things that have, they've done to make them successful, it becomes very, very hard. So like the first go around I did in 2021, you know, I was, I was doing online coaching, you know, looking at all the different parameters, everything, but I didn't have my systems in place. I didn't have, you know, these, principles and these methodologies that other coaches and health coach practitioners have done and have taught. As I said, fuck it, I'll try to figure it out myself. And that made things a lot harder for me. Uh, leveraging social media, um, you know, really building a business from the ground up. Anybody can do it, but there, there are ways to do it that can be quick and easy and help you become successful. There are ways to do it that you just be spinning your wheels for years, you know, trying to make 5k a month you know 10k a month so i think that's very unique where i had to get out of my own head and realize like okay the way that i was operating in the league in in college 
has to be completely different. Now, the principles and everything that I, you know, the way I educate, how I think about training, and the way that I approach assessments with clients or athletes outside of that scope is very similar, but I need systems in place. Like, how am I going to be communicating to them? Is it via email? Do I create an app? Do I use a software? What assessments am I going to do? Um, what kind of testing am I going to do? Am I going to leverage relationships with companies? Am I going to create like a partners list? Now that I don't have to use, you know, these specific, I don't have to use Gatorade and all that. That's thrown mm -hmm. throat from the league. So that's what took me a little bit of time to figure out. So I failed at first, but I went back to the drawing board, talked to a lot of other coaches, hired a coaching collaborative group to be like, okay, this is what you need to do. Niche down, specify who you are, you know, what makes you different, and what is it that you're going to bring to them? What's your offer? How do you position yourself? Um, where do you find leverage? And all that I'd been able to do just posting on social media since I had left the league, you know, because I had nothing else to do too while I was trying to figure out what I'm going to do for work. <clears throat> you talked about it with the blood bio uh, markers, and we talked off air about it briefly, but there's this growing fad out there in the world of anti-aging and um, people doing blood bio testing to see, you know, what their biological age is. Um, for any of our listeners out there that might be like, hey, I've got athletes asking about this. I don't understand it. I like, Or there's too much information out there to know what to believe. Um, kind of explain it to people so that way they can understand it more and they can better serve their athletes or their clients from like a 10,000-foot view. Yeah. One of the things that I did and was in charge of when I was with the Giants was we had uh, – we have a really great – they have a really not we they have a really great relationship with <laughs> you're still you're still institutionalized just like <laughs> i know i know so quest diagnostics is a big sponsor for the giants it's what's their their training facility is called quest diagnostics training center so quest had come up with this great uh, blood panel called blueprint for athlete where they wanted to have it available for professional teams but they wanted to bring it to the masses so for your everyday athlete your weekend warrior where it's really important, and I'm a big proponent of this, of looking at health as, as a very broad spectrum. So it's not just the ability to be strong, be fit. You know, fitness is great, but fitness is a component of health. You have athletes that can handle the physical demands day in and day out, but the systems inside, if they're working harmoniously, you can adapt to stress, you can handle different things and bring yourself back up to baseline or gain adaptation without a lot of issues. Those athletes are healthy, but having done thousands of blood draws on all these athletes, over the years, you now start seeing these athletes are not healthy. You know, you see glucose control issues, you see inflammatory markers, you see dysregulation with micronutrients, you see, you know, gut microbiome, uh, dysbiosis, and all of these things acutely are not necessarily an issue. But when you have unhealthy athletes with poor lifestyle habits that are eating, drinking, licking, eating, whatever, under the sun, staying out late, you know, they're not getting good quality sleep. They have had these behaviors since college, potentially before college, and or, you know, they've played a, a violent-based collision sport for a very long time. Like, they're going to get hurt or injured. And for me, it was, okay, what can we do to help them at least not only feel better, but just build a little bit more robustness from the inside while also putting them through the paces from a strength and conditioning perspective and, and crafting the recovery recommendations to just help them feel better than they ever have. You know, we can't do a lot about the mental aspect of it. We can't do anything about the motivational aspect. As, you know, strength coaches like to, to put that into play. Like, you can write shit all over the wall and clap all you want, but it's not going to do anything. 
like in 2017, after week one, legitimately, I talked to a few defensive players and they're like, yeah, we saw the writing on the wall and we don't think the season's going to go very well. And, and some of them are like, yeah, we, th we think about preserving ourselves and kind of just checking out. Taking a quick break from the show to talk to you guys about our sponsor, Team Builder. If you have any online training platform needs, Team Builder is the go-to place. Team Builder has the ability to integrate with velocity-based training tools. They have the ability to program and have notes and videos for all of your athletes and your clients. This is your number one stop shop. Been using it since 2019 when I was working at Towson. So I've used it, love it. Make sure you check it out. Go ahead, click the link down in the description. And with that, let's get back to the show. And I'm like, holy shit, no wonder we did <laughs> really. Amongst a lot of other things, that was the year about the kneeling and all that other stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so like looking internally, like your blood biomarkers, this is more so like, what is your health status right now? It's not, this is your health status forever, but do you have dyslipidemia? Do you have issues controlling glucose? Do you have excessive amount of inflammation? Because if that's the case, you're now throwing more and more napalm on a fire well, you're already being thrown to the wolves from a training load perspective, or you come into training camp or off-season training ill-prepared, overweight, you haven't touched away, like, you know, the Aaron Rodgers thing. Like, this dude was hiding out in dark caves and figuring out where he's going to play next. Probably wasn't training at all. Probably didn't do a sprint, a calf raise, whatever, and now everybody wants to blame the issue on the training staff of the Jets. It's like they can't regress everybody. The minimum expectation is – this guy's a professional, has multiple MVPs, won a Super Bowl. He knows what he should be doing in the offseason. Oh, he gets the calf injury. Ah, oh, shit, we know where this leads. You know, Kevin Durant went through it a long time ago in the finals. Now, he barely played in the preseason, looked a little bit uncomfortable, and now he's expected to full on out 100 miles out of the gate, be Aaron Rodgers, when his body's just not ready for it. Oh, it's Turf's fault. I'm like, yeah, it's Turf's fault. Million other things that come into play, but let's blame the fucking surface. Same thing, like Joe Burrow, he's got a calf injury. Like when you wear cleats, that puts a significant amount of more stress on the calf. Obviously, during the week, he's probably not taking tons of reps, so it's gonna take time. So I'm I'm hoping for his sake, because he's a really good quarterback. Not that I like the Bengals or anything. I like their DC because I worked with him in, in 18. He was a the cornerbacks coach for the Giants. Really good dude, Lou. Um, but he needs to rest. Otherwise, something bad might happen. You never know. So again, looking at things internally is really, really important. And not necessarily you have, everybody has to take an anti-aging test. Um, they, again, it goes back and forth with the validity of looking at specific biomarkers and how does it correlate to really actually telling what your biological age is or your metabolic age. And they'll look at things uh, like iron, ferritin, vitamin D, glucose control, um, things that come in like a CBC or Chem 10, testosterone, uh, lipids for sure. Now, these things are definitely important, but it doesn't tell the full story. So I took one of those through the Inside Tracker just because they, they reached out to me and wanted me to be one of like their professional people. So I was like, all right, if I can do it for free, I'll do it. They That's wanted you to do a test so they could see your results? Yeah, I did their uh, advanced panel. I never posted about it on social media. I meant to. I took one last August, and I did. I've done another extensive one through another company just uh, this this August, and then I did their inner age. So I was 37 at the time, and it said my inner age is 31, based on yeah the blood markers I get. I'm like, oh well, this Brian Johnson guy who uh, 
he's doing any and everything and he's doing the craziest things and he's only like what like nine years younger than what he is i'm like dude i'm doing what i've been doing forever and i'm already seven years younger <laughs> and that was at the time where i sustained an injury too so it wasn't even training i was eating a shitload of barbecue here so <laughs> it probably would have been a lot better too but i i'm a big proponent because what we were able to do getting that data from the players and just me going to them and just asking questions because without that you don't know what questions to ask about okay you know what are your habits like at home mm -hmm. what are you doing like why is your insulin levels elevated first thing in the morning you know, yeah, vitamin D is low. We kind of get that. We know that that's pretty prevalent. But why are these specific inflammatory markers constantly elevated? Uh, why do you have glucose control issues? Like you have an A1C above 5.8. You know, that's crazy because you're a lean football player. Oh, you know, I'm just stressing out because I got stuff going on. There's whatever baby mama drama or my mom's sick. And, you know, that opens the door to ask questions about what's going on. and What can we do to support them and keep them you know, at least healthy to provide them with either the, the resources or education and more importantly, the know-how and why, and then bring in all the other studies that have been done. Like, okay, you have dyslipidemia, you might have altered tendon and structure, um, tendon and ligament structure and function. If you have glucose control issues, you might have, you know, uh, increased incidence of soft tissue injuries or whatever, like all these different things. Like this person's more uh, predisposed to being, um, having a higher risk for a fracture, you know, whatever. And so, okay, all this stuff is starting to make a lot more sense. Now, we can't fix everything for everybody, but if there are things within some of these major biomarkers that we're getting, and we know that when they're not within normal limits, we should at least address them, then if they can provide some level of assurance or assistance or help the athlete feel better, you know, a little bit more recovered, less sore, uh, then that's a win in our book. As opposed to not doing any of the testings, there are some teams that don't really do anything or they'll just do very service level tests. They won't dive deeper. And the people that they have in-house, they're just not taking the information and actually trying to be very actionable about it. It's the same song and dance with sports science, every team, yeah. college and pro. It's like we're taking all this data, but we're not doing anything about it. And then the players get annoyed. Like, why do I got to do this? Why do I got to do this? You guys are just hiding the information. You're going to use it against me instead of, hey, this is what your results are. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, you do the test. I'm going to come directly to you. We're going to go through everything and I'm going to give you an explanation of what it means and, and what I think we can do for you. And that it's interesting you bring that up because hearing you talk about that made me think like, okay, if there are all those lower barriers of you're not even eating, you're not even eating salad, you're not eating vegetables, you're not sleeping, you're stressed out. You're not going to go right to supplementation or would you like, what would you uh, fucking stud in this field in, nutrition what would you go to would you worry about those first things or would you supplement while they're working towards those yeah i would do a combination of both because you know we already know that if there are things that are difficult to get in the diet through food and it shows up not only on blood work individually but we kind of know it overall across populations then just telling them like hey food first or food only like that's not realistic <laughs> and that was gonna go in one ear and out the other like oh he's not listening to me yeah so I would always do that. It's like, look, I'm going to give you two options. Like we can address low vitamin D through supplementation because it's really the only way, especially, you know, the darker skin you have, the more time, less time you spend outdoors when it gets closer to fall and winter, you're not going to have the sunlight exposure to actually move the needle on that. So yeah, most of the athletes that, you know, were below 30, my goal is to get every single one of them above 30. We'd have guys coming in like with teen, like low teens, like mm -hmm. can never, 
even move the needle on that. And I'm like, okay, do you have a history of soft tissue injury? Like, what's going on? Are you always in pain? Do you have trouble with weight management? I'm like, okay, it's not, low vitamin D isn't the reason, but it's a central piece, a part of the equation. So I'd always come up with like, hey, these are the markers not within normal limits. These are the potential reasons why. This is how we can address it. Mm. Supplementation, lifestyle, nutrition choices, and then open the floor to them. Like, I want to get your thoughts on what, you, what, you're, what you're thinking because it seems like a lot, and I don't want to overload you. These are the most important ones that I think you definitely should address, and then these are the secondary ones too. <clears throat> How res uh, receptive are and like the ability to help influence that change? Because some of our members might be like, "Hey, man, he's speaking to me," but like, what has been your best way to form those relationships and make it kind of seamless within the uh, college world and then outside of it? Because we have people that do both. Yeah. So. The most important thing was to always have a good dialogue. And the thing with the players that I worked with is we only had a small handful of players, and I'm talking about the league, that stayed on the roster because there's so much roster turnover. Like when you turn yeah, over. That's a good point. I didn't even think about that. You have a minimal amount of time. Now, we were luckier because more athletes at that level are, are receptive to listening to what you have to say because they know that if they're a fringe player, they're trying to make the 53 or you know whatever the roster count is now, they'll do any and everything. And a lot of players love the idea of supplements. Now, some have no desire to take a supplement, but they're more few and far between. But some are like, hey, just tell me what to take. Like, is this going to help me? Yeah, no, is this going to help me? Is this going to you know make me feel better, recover faster? To an extent, you're just like, yeah, yeah. But the tough thing is you're never going to get anything that we could provide legally that's automatically going to make them feel like a million bucks. And that's the tough thing about nutrition, certain aspects of recovery. It's not like, hey, we had a badass lift. I feel really good. I'm pumped. Or, you know, hey, my ankle was hurting. I went to the trainers. They did treatment on me. Oh, it was hurting, and I feel so much better. But when you tell them to, like, hey, here's your carbohydrate, carbohydrate periodization for the week or, you know, I need you to eat more broccoli because you have excessive amount of oxidative stress. You don't detoxify very well. Um, you need to take this vitamin D because your level is 11 and it's absurdly low. <laughs> I would rather you be at 50, but let's try to get you to 30 over the course of eight to 12 weeks. They're not going to feel that benefit. You know, they're not gonna automatically like, Oh, I take creatine or I take fish oil. Now I feel amazing. It's like, that's the tough thing about getting that buy-in because over time, they can potentially see the benefit, but they have to be consistent with it. And, you know, athletes are notoriously inconsistent with almost everything that they do. Uh, so part of it was definitely having the support of the organization hmm. to where everybody knew. Like, I was in front of the players presenting on certain things, whether it was the rookies or at certain times of the year, about things that were really important that the coaches resonated with. The head coach was like, okay, I, I'm going to give you – Two minutes, by two minutes, I'm going to give you 90 seconds to address it. And then the players can come talk to you after that. Because it's not a lot of time during the day. And I don't want to take up time just to hear myself talk. But if I feel if there's something that they need to know, like are we going cross time zones? Are we going from hot to cold or cold to hot? Are we going to altitude? You know, stuff like that. Like these players don't think about these things. But I'm thinking about all these other stressors that are going to impact them. That if we don't address it, we're already going to start the game like behind the eight ball. So having the organization support was really important. Having the you know head coaches and, and Aaron and all that just point all the athletes directly to me, saying like, this is the guy you need to talk to. He's gonna do you right. He's not like anybody else that you've 
come across in college or pro, uh, but then also just being there day to day. They see me everywhere in the locker room, in the weight room. I'm coaching them up. I'm on the field. I'm putting them through the motions, you know, whatever my task is. Am I seeing the quarterbacks today or the running backs or whoever, whoever my group is, they're my group developing the relationships. Like, again, I'm not, I'm a very soft-spoken person, but when I coach, I'm not super loud. I'm not clapping. I'm like, Hey, I'm going to tell you something with attention. You're going to fucking listen to me. And that's the thing. Like players got it. Like, okay, well this dude is not, you know, wider than he is tall. He's never going to win the lifting competition, but shit, he's lean. He's smart. He knows what he's talking about. He's probably here for a reason. So once they have that perception of you and you deliver on it, then it's like, okay, this is cake. I don't have to prove myself to anybody because now the organization knows who I am. The players know who I am. Um, they know exactly what I can bring to the table and hopefully help them do within the confines of what we are able to do. Um, but being around them, developing those relationships, them getting to see the personality, to know that, again, very calm, very calm. Never like one of those annoying-ass fucking coaches that's always in their face, uh, understanding what they go through. You know, I'm a minority in this country, obviously one that most people don't think about as, but yeah, life has not been peaches and cream for myself. You know, everybody goes through adversity, deals with some shit. Um, everybody has a backstory, liking a lot of the things that they happen to like too. Like what? I like shoes. I like, you know, designer stuff. I like cars. Um, you know, I like going out about back then. I like going out and partying. Now I don't really care about that anymore. Um, listening to the same music, all that stuff. Like that wasn't me trying to fit in. Like this has been me since I was fucking eight, nine years old. You it know? also helps that you're shredded. I mean, you mentioned it, but like, <laughs> yeah, right. You go through the phases of now I'm bulking up to try to be big because we have Saquon and I want to be, you know, five, 10, 225 pounds like him, even though he's just a, a lifetime generational freak of nature. And then be like, fuck it. I need to take care of myself you know, doing all the lifts that they would do. So I would put myself through them just so I'd have a better inkling of how to coach it, you know, doing the field work, all that, doing all the testing myself. So, I mean, it adds a lot of value and credibility when you're talking to athletes because they don't care how strong you are, but if, if you're athletic and impressive, then they're like, okay, there's something to this guy. How do you see the field evolving for any strength coach that kind of wants to do that? Where they're, you know, you, you've seen the, it started off, okay, you're the fifth coach on staff, or not the fifth, but you're one of the five, we'll talk football specifically, you're one of the five and you do the GPS to, okay, now you're not one of the five, there's a GPS only. Is there going to be a, you're a nutrition, you know, you're a strength coach and you also do nutrition to then potentially a nutritionist? Strength coach, like, how do you see that evolving? Um, and is that good or bad for the field? No, I, I think it's good because if you only have a specialty or knowledge in one area, that makes it difficult to have communication. As you know, when things get siloed and people just hold on to their positions or they become very territorial, then that's when issues arise. That just means that they're very stuck in their ways. They're not going to be very open to looking at new methodologies of training, you know, it's a lot of copy and paste. Like this is what this team did 10, 20 years ago and they had success. Now I want to do it too. But, and again, it's not like Aaron ever gave a shit. He's like, I don't want your job. And he, he's told me multiple times outside of being a head coach, outside of being the GM in terms of getting the players to buy in and do what you want them to do from a job perspective. He's like, you have the hardest job in the building. I'm like, I know. Yeah. Hands down. Hands down. So 
he didn't he's like i'm gonna give you autonomy <laughs> do do whatever you want bro because i i'm trying to deal with that mess and you know ronnie and them, they didn't want to deal with it either but that's the stuff that i love i also love training i also love you know coaching so it was it was a perfect fit but i think when you when you have people with knowledge in these backgrounds that they don't necessarily have to have a dual role but if they can do that that becomes very valuable and it's not just limited to oh you have to do nutrition exercise gps load monitoring all this when you start having people that can really speak about health as a whole like you have somebody who can do like blood biomarker analysis you have somebody who knows about hrv you have somebody who knows about sleep you have somebody who knows about multiple recovery modalities and maybe you have all the people on your staff that kind of master one thing and then they teach it to others. So you include the medical staff for things that are a little bit more medical related. You also include, you know, your sports science staff amongst the strength and conditioning staff, amongst the nutrition staff. Now obviously they're gonna be the big rock things you need to take charge of, but the more interconnectedness you can have, the better off that you can problem solve because there are always gonna be problems. There's always gonna be something that somebody struggles with that they can't get done. And when somebody can kind of provide a little additional support, then that just makes everybody's effectiveness like go up exponentially, really. <clears throat> yeah, and the reason I asked that is one of my former um, assistants, he had interned at um, UW, and one of the strength coaches was actually like acting as the dietitian, either under the dietitian or under the um, primary care. So that way, like they were essentially. It's the same way that like uh, student athletic trainers sign off on things versus for the athletic trainer or even the AT signing off for the um, for the doctor, right? Like, is that is that a, a possibility of the way that th this could continue to progress forward? Because again, at the end of the day, we're about serving the athletes and trying to give them the best knowledge. So that way, if it's actual an expert in it, they would know where the best place is to get the blood biomarkers and they can filter through the things better than just, like you said, a general strength coach being like, well, we're going to go with that company, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think it just adds a ton of value. Like I would have never gotten to the position that I did in the NFL if I didn't have the dietetics background as a dietitian and I didn't have a master's in next phys and had done years of coaching from K-State to Michigan State. You know, because then you start seeing things really broadly. You see how overlapping all these different things are. But when you're only exposed to one of these specialties, it's only athletic training. It's only ex-fist strength and conditioning. It's only nutrition. Like, you, you're very limited on your effectiveness. <clears throat> what is a good path, then, for anybody that's listening this far to us <clears throat> that wants to do that? What would your recommendation be? Like, okay, I've done it. I've done these two worlds. Looking back, how can you help? You know, we're here to help bridge the gap. So if, hey this is what's lacking in college, this is what you should do, like what do you recommend to, to people? Yeah, it's tough because it could, It takes a long time. So, you know, I did four years of undergrad nutrition, then I had to do an internship, and then I had to do two years to get my ex-phys degree, and then I had to volunteer my time coaching to get the experience. So you're talking about seven plus years, and as you know, people just don't have the money and time to be able to do that. But uh, I think it depends on what you like doing most and where you want your specialty. So I did the dietetics route and then went to the ex-phys route. There are some people that have done the opposite, but I think doing the opposite would be a lot harder. So the truth of the matter is I loved my ex-phys curriculum a lot more than the dietetics curriculum. I also thought it was easy as shit. Yeah, like, compared to the two, like that's why I'm blown away by the amount of, like that stuff is so hard to, to be able to, to know all of the different 
you know, the hor- like, I mean, the, the hormones and just understanding which, you know, supplement to help with their, the micronutrients. Like it's, that in and of itself does need its own niche, in my opinion, just because of how extensive it is and how important of a role it does play. Yeah. And I think the tough thing is though, most colleges and places now they'll require their nutrition staff member to be a dietitian. But the, I guess the kick in the dick is you don't get a lot of sports exercise exposure through the nutrition or dietetic curriculum. It's very like geared towards clinical outpatient food service and production management. And so you have to check those boxes, go through those hoops to call yourself a dietitian. And then hopefully you've gained some exposure experience, or maybe you were an athlete. So you know what the world is like. And, and even beyond that, you have to legitimately push off all the knowledge that you learned in school about the nutrition or the way they teach nutrition and then realize like, okay, this is real world scenarios. This is how athletes act. This is how they need to eat. This is what they are experiencing. This is how I need to think about providing nutritional recommendations and all the different areas and aspects that they are experiencing. So that's why it becomes very difficult. It's not, you can just get this certification and then you're a strength coach and then you can go on your merry way and get hired by a team because now it's being written into, you know, NCA rules and or CBA bylaws. You have to have somebody that's properly credentialed. No, 100%. And that made me think about a question that I had written down prior to this was just the fact that this coach is not in college, whether that's strength and conditioning or nutrition, talking about the simplicity of how it would be to, you know, just handle this versus you might be a nutritionist in college that has training table, doesn't have training table, has access to supplements, doesn't have access to supplements. Um, how, how do you just navigate all those different hurdles of the different, you know, training tables and, and, and fuel zones and, and all of those, because a lot of our listeners out there do work in those settings that do have them. And how do they best provide the, <clears throat> a service to those coaches because like I said, there there's so many coaches out there that have never worked in it, which is why I wanted to get you on to be able to provide real actual, Hey, this is what I did and this is what it should be done. Yeah. And it's not easy because when I, you know, finally got to a place that actually had those resources and it was at Oregon where they had invested in their student athletes for a very long time. And the goal was, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm in charge of football, but whatever football gets, Everybody else should have equal access to. So this is your maiden budget. If you need specific things for football, go talk to the DFO. He'll just clear it. You'll be okay. But these are the areas we have throughout campus, and everything was spread out. So if you've ever been to Oregon or you know how the facilities are laid out, half of them are on campus, and then the other half are away by the football stadium, by the baseball stadium, by the lacrosse and soccer stadium. So it's not like we're all in the same vicinity. So, yeah, I have my own staff set up. I have to have student workers to assist that to be able to provide the product to the necessary locations and the amounts that we need to because I don't want my staff to spend their time doing that. I want them talking to the coaches, talking to the athletes, mm-hmm. talking to the trainers, and problem solving and educating as opposed to spending their entire day just fucking schlepping around product because they didn't spend all that time in school and money in school to be some fucking you know, Costco bitch. Or making smoothies all day, which I don't know how or why it came about, but that's what's being glamorized as. That is 100% what's happening right now. Which is unfortunate because the logistical aspect of it, the food service aspect of it is so time consuming because of even for a sport like football, you know, they do multiple things throughout the entire day. There's 100 plus kids 
And you have to individualize as much as you can, whether it's smoothies, nutritional recommendations, hydration recommendations, pre, during, post-training, training table, supplementation, and you not only have to do that, there are places in the locker room, in the weight room, mm. in a training table. For, and that's one sport. Now, you talk about some of these big schools that have 30 to 40 sports, and it's a lot of time moving product, ordering, you know, like scheduling interns, scheduling staff members to be able to handle all that. Well, all right, do we need fueling station or nutrition station coverage? Or, hey, do, am I just going to stock it, rec- like educate the athletes and make it their – like the onus is on them. Now you have autonomy to get what you need. You don't need somebody behind a counter passing you things like grow the fuck up. <laughs> and if you take advantage of it and you clean me out dry, then I'm just going to rescind uh, privileges for a week because you, you took all my product and that was meant for everybody. You took your share of what I have and it's nothing against you. It's just, I only have so much to go around. So that was how I try to think about it is okay. What is it that they need? And I've always talked about the way I look at nutrition is it's a hierarchy of prioritization. You need to at least check the box of their macronutrient. So do we have enough energy to meet the demands of training? Now, you also have goals for specific athletes. Some need to lean out. Some need to put on mass. Along with that, they need to hydrate. They need electrolytes. Like Again, they need that from just a, a physiology standpoint. We know this. Beyond that, okay, can we start looking at like micronutrients, supplementation? Can we then start looking at where the food is coming from, quality of food? So if we don't have a big budget, our recovery drink might just be chocolate milk. Mm-hmm. We have a big budget, fuck it, we're going to get core power because that shit's bomb. If we have an even bigger budget, all right, we're going to do individualized you know, recovery shakes based on what are the nutrition needs for this specific athlete and yeah, what is their flavor preference. Uh, same thing, you know, do we just get Uncrustables? Do we make it by hand? Do we get, you know, gourmet PB&Js made by the food service staff in-house? Whatever it is, then you can become a little bit more bougie about what you want to provide them. But again, it sucks, but sometimes if you don't have the money, the hierarchy of prioritization is we just got to check the box about giving them something. And that's what sports nutrition is to them. You know, as long as it meets the needs of what they're expecting to do, uh, from again, from a macro standpoint, from a hydration standpoint, and then can you check that box? All right, we're going to the next level. Check that box. Okay, we're going to the next level. You talked about um, <clears throat> hydration and electrolytes within the checking of the box. Is it everybody's being lazy, or is it hey, that's only what people can do at the lower levels? But I've, you've talked about it before with salt and sodium just being kind of the one, people just like shoving salt down people's throats, for lack of a better term. But the fact that there's magnesium and potassium, like other electrolytes that are kind of getting neglected and if you're just shoving a bunch of extra sodium into it you're forgetting about you know the other electrolytes in the hierarchy when you're just shoving down sodium yeah i mean all of them are all of them are important they have a role to play but more so in terms of what our athletes going to be losing from sweat is going to be sodium and chloride so that's that's just salt NaCl and and again it's hard to to guess how much because everybody's individual physiology, their sweat physiology is so different. You might have high volume sweaters that have low concentrations. You might have high volume sweaters that have high concentrations, low volume, low, 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 high. So it's hard to do very individualized recommendations because their sweat rate and concentration changes 
throughout the year, depending on uh, intensity of training, competition, it's the highest, you know, what are the environmental conditions and factors, what is their nutrient status, are they already dehydrated, which, I mean, there's plenty of studies showing that you have at least 25 to 55 to 75 percent of athletes entering uh, training and hopefully a less lesser number of that in the competition, but just dehydrated. You know, how does that affect a lot of it? So, yeah, sodium definitely is important. Chloride, also very important. Next on the list, potassium, but not in as high amounts. And then trace amounts, you're going to think about, like, zinc, magnesium, and calcium for real. <clears throat> yeah, no, that's, yeah, that makes sense. But one of the things that we did at, uh, at Towson was we would actually put them through a training session in the summertime and then run it. So that way we would um, spin it in a lab. Then before camp, every kid would get like a, hey, you're a high, 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 low, low, high, low, low. And it would be like, hey, we had uh, either level three or a level five. And it's like, hey, drink X number of these for every pound loss. So that way we could be more individualized with it. But even at that, they were no, but like the likelihood I'd be like, did you actually follow what we told you to do? You know what I mean? Like, you know what it's like the wanes and wayouts during training camp. Like there isn't a team college or pro that feels like, oh, we do this really well because everybody's just running, like holding on for dear life, like running around like a chicken with their head cut off. Like the second the first practice starts, it's just that snowball effect where guys are just going to be sweating like crazy. Uh, what was it, that tight end who lost 17 pounds or whatever from TCU? Yeah, or... we, we were talking about it in the group chat, though, because, like, again, I truly question how consistent the pre and post weight was but now there there is a chance that it didn't happen that way but like i've seen it you like if let's say you had somebody like you just you talked about hey you're running around product you you're trying to get things okay let's say if somebody's like hey just step on the scale i gotta get you on the scale so coach blah 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 doesn't yell at you for not getting a pre-weight well now you got a pre-weight that's inflated right yeah, they had on all their gear, and then they did their way out. Like, oh, yeah, I just showered. Oh, let me put on my T-shirt. Yeah, show. oh, yeah, I forgot, right, leaving the facility, right? Because, like, that happens too. Like, our co coaches listening to this right now, they're like, oh, my God, that's speaking volumes to me. I mean, I've, I've even seen it. I'm sure our listeners out there are like, I've seen it where um, the, the athlete might not even get weighed in by a athletic trainer or a strength coach. It might just be, hey, honor system, you write your weight down. Now we're at least saying that we've tracked it, right? Like that – is that actually better than not weighing in, in your opinion? <laughs> the only thing worse than no data is using bad data. Right? Honestly, like I would, and again, the, everybody just, coaches go crazy about what, what are the pre and post weights? Why is so-and-so so low? It's like, well, we don't have enough time to do it properly. You know, in a very controlled environment, you give me, like you put the scales wherever, like in close proximity to where most of the players are going to be running and they're just rushing, going in and out of the locker room or wherever it is, or it's in the locker room and they don't have time to just do it properly. Like someone's like, oh, I can't take, I already put on my cleats. I can't take these off because mm -hmm. it's going to take five minutes and I'm going to be late to practice or I haven't eaten anything. Do you still want to get it on the scale? I'm like, oh, no, just, you know, go grab something, go hydrate. I'd rather you do that than waste your time getting on the scale because again, the hierarchy of prioritization is you need that sustenance substrate versus what this weighing is. I'll make up a weight, whatever. I don't care. Um, without, oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, no, go ahead. What I was going to say is without naming names from the different places that you've been or any of the different uh, people that you've 
you know, they've had you on as a uh, consultant. We've talked about, okay, here's the bad, but like without, with respecting the Kirwin and flat ratio, what is the best that you've seen? Like what's the best example of, okay, you know what? This is run at a really high level for our listeners that have made it this far with us. This is how it should be done. This is how it could be done in a really, really high level and orchestrated, you know, kind of seamlessly with training and health and the nutrition aspect of it. I'd say... And, and again, I thought what we did with the Giants was pretty decent. I mean, there's still a million different things that we'd want to improve on, but you, we can only compare notes of what we talk to other coaches, other staff members, but then also players that, you know, again, we got a lot of guys coming and going. So they'll be very vocal about what they like and what they didn't like. So I think that was a positive, but more so, I think what, what you can control a lot more is in college. I think from what I've seen from the outside, like I think LSU does a really good job. Mm-hmm. I was going to say that, yeah. Yeah, fucking solid. Like everything that I've seen. Again, I don't know the ins and outs of it all. But from what I've seen, Jake and Matt's office right fucking next to each other. Like, yeah. In good collaboration with the medical staff, everybody's talking. Good collaboration, because uh, I've actually spoken to some of their sports scientists too. I've been on a few calls with, with Matt. And then, too, like, everybody's thinking, everybody's not, you know, resting on their laurels. Like, yeah, they won an Addy in 2019, but cool. Like, what is it that we can do to help these players now? Like, what do we need to get better at? What's working? What's not working? Um, I I think it's definitely pretty solid. What has been your biggest aha moment in the last, you know, you said 2019. So since 2019, maybe 2020, but the last three to four years, what has been your biggest aha moment with respect to working with clients with within the realm of nutrition that you either did and you have since looked back and been like, man, I shouldn't have done that, or you looked back and you're like, oh, I wish I would have done that? That's a good question. I think what I try to do with every client now is impose less of what I think they need and integrate more of what they're already doing. Hmm. Cause I, I, now, you know, as, as you know, I'm a father, we've got two kids under three, life is crazy. Like, you know, if I can get a workout in, in a day, I've got 10 minutes. If not, I can't work out that day because everything else just snowballs. So understanding how busy people really are, and trying to make things as simple as possible. If they're already, they have a flow in their day. They're already doing like, hey, this is when I wake up. This is what I'm doing. This is my opportunities. It's not for me to say, well, I think what's more ideal are going to get them better results is if they shift and did this. It's fuck. They don't have that opportunity to because they're a parent. They work. They're a family man, member, whoever they are. Like they just need to do this. And it might take them a lot longer or a little bit longer, but it makes more sense if they feel comfortable and they don't have to bend over backwards or feel like they're failing trying to implement something that just doesn't resonate with what you're essentially making sure that you're rowing up with the stream of the current, right? Like you're not trying to, and I mean, that resonates with me because it's like, shoot, I'm guilty of doing the opposite of being like, you just, you know, you got to optimize and you got to do this and you got to do that. Like, how were you able to flip that switch? Was it when you, you know, most recently had your uh, the birth of your child or what was it? I think it's just the process of going through, like, we all have success in our own health journeys doing certain things. And we feel like we have to stick to doing that. Whether, like, when I, when I was in grad school, 
I, uh, I got super in shape. So I was, that's when I was coaching, like on a deck side, I was like 10% body fat. Not even trying, I was partying on the weekends, legit drinking, but just, you know, training at a high level, going to class, teaching, doing all this stuff. And I was eating the six meals per day, you know, the six meals per day. And I always thought, okay, when I, when I was working at Michigan State, oh, I was, I was shredded like four or five years ago. I got to keep doing that. I got it six meals per day. I'm like, well, fuck, man. I'm doing exactly what I did before. I'm trying to do the same types of workouts. But all I'm doing is gaining weight. Like, oh, I didn't account for, hey, dude, you're sleeping less. You're working a lot more. You have a lot more stress on your plate because you're just trying to figure things out as this is your first big major career opportunity. So, you know, transitioning out and doing things and getting healthier from, you know, 2019 on, it changed to where before it was evening workouts. Now it's morning workouts. Uh, now I'm eating five times a day. And now I'm eating four times a day. And now, you know, right now I, I eat three times a day. <laughs> so it's recognizing like, oh, you can have success doing any one of these different things. It's, do you know exactly what you're doing? And can you stay consistent with it? And then, you know, being able to transition from, oh, I have to train this way. I can only train this way. I have to train it this time. Uh, just making sure that, again, the principles are in place, but just the way the methods are created are going to be individualized for each situation. So that's when it comes to, okay, I don't need to optimize everything. And I, I used to be one of those people, like when I first, when I left the league and started, you know, my business and health journey and sharing all that, I was very front on like, oh, we got to optimize, you got to, you know, sun in the morning, you got to do this, you got to do that, you got to ground, you got to sleep, you got to, you know, check these 10 boxes and then you work with clients, you realize like, fuck man, they just, they don't have that opportunity to, they can't, maybe they can do two things and then that's it. And then as I started getting busier and busier and busier and, you know, you get healthy to a point, it's like, okay, well, just to be able to maintain this, I don't need to do 10 things, I need to do just these three or four things. That's uh, it's interesting you say that because that kind of is the misnomer about the six meals a day, breakfast, lunch, dinner, and then your multiple snacks. And then you've come out and you've been on social media talking about um, being able to eat twenty five percent of protein broken down in a meal, so essentially over four feedings, right? Because the whole protein synthesis myth. Um, Wadango was on the show before, and he talked about how he essentially eats all of his protein before noon and then that way his body has more time to digest it and he can sleep better so there there is that you know different strokes for different folks the ability to um, have success in different ways is that something that you like what's your first thing that you'll then recommend to either an athlete or a client like okay you know multiple things works and you know blah 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 but what would be your first and then your kind of hierarchy of your um flow chart for lack of a better term yeah so i always ask so when i work with somebody i do an extensive assessment it takes some people 75 minutes to fill out it takes some people 300 minutes to fill out but i want to know everything but more so from a nutritional perspective you know most people are trying to lean out like we, we know that's the majority of people on the planet um yeah. i do have some clients that want to put on masks and obviously when I get freed up and get a chance to just get back in the gym, you know, I've obviously who lost. Who doesn't, right? Yeah, who doesn't? I'm in I'm I'll document the journey on social media. And be like, hey guys, uh, I'm I'm a small frame Indian. Just you know, take that into consideration. Ideally, what I'd like to be is around 180 pounds. You know, in around the 10, 12 percent body fat range. But fuck, I'm like 165 right now. Mm. Yeah. And it's not that I'm not eating. It's just, look, you know, I'm not training and I need to train at a high level. That's just how my body responds. It's what I know. It's what I've tested to the genetic stuff I know. Um, 
but most people want to lose weight. So my question I always ask them is, what's more important to you? Do you just want to lose body fat and you don't care how strong you are and you don't care how much muscle mass you have or you want to lose weight, you want to lean out, but size and strength are important to you. So then that gets me thinking like, okay, you can have success eating before a workout. You can have success not eating before a workout. You can have success losing weight if you intermittent fast, whatever, the 12 to 8. Or you can do time-restricted feeding. And then I dive deeper. Like, do you have family history of heart disease, glucose control issues? We look at your data. I look at their biomarkers, which cover all that stuff. Then it's like, okay, yeah. You need to time-restrict feed early in the day because we already know that that has better implications for glucose control, lipid control, all of that. So, no, don't, like, stop fasting from 12 to 8. Like, I need you to go 10 to 6, and I need you to eat 33% of your protein calories before noon, and then we'll break it up. Um, how many calories do you need? How much protein do you need? That's going to dictate generally how many feedings. I have some clients that, yeah, they try to hit 275 grams a day. Which which is a lot. You know, I have some yeah. clients that are two hundred fifty pounds, or two hundred seventy-five pounds, or two hundred ninety pounds. So I'm like, yeah, can you do that in three feeds? No. Okay, we've got to do it in four. You know, ideally I'd like them to do it in three, but I'll, I'll ask them that. Like, do you, do you want to try? Can you do it? If they say no, I can't do it. Cool. They'll say I'm gonna try. They try it. They're like, I just can't. That's fine. Like eating twelve ounces of meat. In, in a meal can be <laughs> difficult for a lot of people. Yeah. Regardless of like, they're not going to eat ribeye steaks every day. Yeah. One, you know? well, gout in the finances of it, right? Like that's yeah, not sustainable. Finances. So, so again, that flow is I want to learn as much as I can use their current habits and their health status. And then what do we know about what's published? What makes sense? And how do we implement this? Like, you know, should they eat before they train? When are they training? How long are they training for? Oh, I train in the morning. Do you normally eat before you lift? No. Are you trying to lose weight? Yeah. Do you care about strength? No. I'm like, okay, you're going to do faster training. But the second your, your, your training session is done, I'm like, I need you to eat this. It's really smart. <clears throat> One of the last questions I have for you before I let you, you know, continue about being the dad life. Um, injured athlete nutrition. Because, you know, a lot of our members and a lot of our uh, listeners out there work with athletes in college or private sector or high school what is kind of your ground level um, let's say it, it's not an acute injury but it's like hey they're going to be out for a while it's a chronic they're going to have surgery what are you typically recommending to again 10,000 foot view to anybody that is working with an athlete and they have a surgery and they know they're going to not be as active yeah I mean it's going to happen. It's going to keep happening. So understanding first what injury they have and what are the general like physical changes that happen in the, in the time frame and the prognosis, I think that's important. Um, knowing if they are going to go under the knife or have surgery, when that's happening, like are they traveling somewhere? Do they have family members with them? Because I think a lot of times these things get lost in translation where, and this has happened with, you know, one of the teams that I consult with, an athlete had, you know, um, an ACL, had to go get it repaired in California. I didn't know exactly when the time frame for that was, but then got a call from her. She's like, hey, I'm in the hotel room. I'm with my mom. Like, what do I do? I was like, fuck. You know, I would have prepared her better for that. Like, hey, I need you to just 
you know, stick with this surgery. I need you to make sure that you get a good meal the night before. Make sure you get in this drink, you know, before because there are studies that show better outcomes of controlling blood glucose levels, just overall athlete patient well-being consuming something. But a lot of doctors will have that as a contraindicative. They won't want they want their athletes coming in fasted. And I'm like, that's just there's research that debunks that. Uh, so I'm always a big fan of that. Uh, the second is knowing that any injury is going to increase energy expenditure because you have a stress factor involved. Your activity factor is down, but now you have the body that's trying to repair itself. So you have increased needs for protein, for certain micronutrients that are involved in wound healing and repair. While knowing that if an athlete does get injured, um, they're going to be somewhat depressed, anxious, their appetite's going to go out the window. What they think is, well, I'm not training. I don't want to eat because I don't want to get fat. Mm-hmm. Not thinking, okay, I have higher calorie needs because of the injury, but I'm decreasing decreased calorie needs because of my activity level. So it's kind of like a little bit of a balance. I need to eat more protein consistently because ideally you'd want to just maintain as much muscle mass as possible as opposed to putting on fat as opposed to losing a lot of muscle mass, which happens to a lot of athletes which if they start losing weight, that's just going to put them behind the eight ball because, again, you have these benchmarks throughout rehab and return to play in terms of strength and movement and all that. If they're losing muscle mass, they're not going to be able to generate the same amount of force and power and all that. So it's going to prolong return to play even longer. And simple nutritional interventions can help mitigate some of that. It just acutely, even after a mobilization happens, after about 24 hours, like you can get significant decreases in muscle protein synthesis within 24 to 36 hours. And you can mitigate some of it, you know, high protein, creatine. Um, you can't completely eliminate it, but there are things that you can do to help them out. And then there are different stages in recovery. So initially you have, you know, that inflammatory stage. That's when you don't want to overload them with anti-inflammatory type foods and supplements because, hey, let the body heal within the first 24 to 48 hours. Most doctors can kind of give you that general guidelines depending on how severe the injury was and how intense was the surgery. But once that starts happening, they go over to that stage, then you go to um, whatever, the remodeling, however people like to call it. You know, everybody has their different time frames for, hey, it's day three to day eight or three to day 11. Like, nobody fucking knows any of this shit. I'd say, hey, inflammatory stage, we're just going to go straight with food, creatine, uh, maybe some vitamin D. And then, you know, when the doc gives us the clear, I'm like, all right, now I'm throwing everything in the kitchen sink at you because now we want to mitigate too much inflammation. Um, and that's when they want to at least eat, keep the protein level high, know that they have just gone through surgery. So that is an additional uh, stress factor that you want to increase for a little bit of time before the body starts you know, repairing itself, wound healing happens. Then you bring it back down to they just should be eating at maintenance for whatever that gets calculated. So, yeah, supplements are a part of that because we know that a lot of athletes just can't eat very well, they might be on a lot of medication, so they're backed up. They might not have much of an appetite. So, you know. Speaking of the medication, do you remember back when, um, oh God, Poliquin, when there, and I don't know if they still were, I mean, Poliquin has since passed, so rest his soul, but the, uh, everybody was taking hydrochloric acid. I, I feel like it was back in 2011 and tw- like, did, were, did you remember what, what like, 
do you know what I'm talking about? Because they, they were taking hydrochloric acid pills to help them digest their food because the, the whole nomer was um, there wasn't enough hydrochloric acid in your stomach, so take some of it to help you digest your food. I think I know what you're talking about. Uh... I'm not looking. I'm not trying to throw dirt on anyone's grave. No. I'm just talking about the notion of like adding hydrochloric acid to your stomach to help you digest it because you talked about gut health in the beginning. Taking digestive enzymes because those are independent, those are enzyme versus actual acid, but to me it's just taking things a little bit too far. Like look, if, you're, if your systems are healthy and you chew your food properly and you're not eating things that you know provide you with discomfort or you have an allergy or an aversion, like you will digest it. You don't have issues with um, leaky gut or you know, intestine, intestine permeability, then you don't have to take additional acid. It's not anything that's over the top. Generally, when people have issues with low stomach acidity, uh, they just need a lot more B vitamins, like definitely one and two for sure. And or I've had takes, I've had some athletes take uh, diluted apple cider vinegar with some of those too. People think, oh, you need, you know, like a, a PPI or an antacid to help with GERD and this and that. I'm like, GERD is lack of acid. When you take something that cuts down acid, the body's going to try to make more acid, and that's where reflux happens. That's where they get these issues. It's hilarious. <clears throat> Anybody that has made it this far with us, you clearly can tell that the man is a nutritional expert. That's why he presented in Fundamentals. If you want to check out Fundamentals Level 2, go ahead and you will find it in the link below. You will also find all of his stuff down below but tiki go ahead and remind the people where they can follow you on social or any of your uh your stuff that you want them to uh direct them to and, and, and follow you on your path yeah whatever me social media platform you prefer twitter linkedin instagram my handles at pratik x patel um just try to post daily obviously I've, I've transitioning some stuff with the business so i think going to be niching down even a little bit more uh so be on the lookout for that to where uh, i'm excited about it i think it's, it's something that's been coming for a while and I think it's going to add a lot of value to a specific population so I'm excited to roll that out. Still going to be, you know, a little bit assholey, throwing out jokes here left and right, but just trying to be as informational as possible for people in the real world. Like athletes can take the information, coaches can. It's not super biohacky. I know a lot of these accounts get really popular like, hey, take these eight supplements for one reason. It's like people don't have time to do that. And it, like, I'm healthy and I don't even take any of those. And I have shitty Indian genetics. Like, you don't need to do that. You heard it from the man himself. Thank you very much, brother. Have a good rest of the day. Thanks, man.